we have an amazing speaker. If you guys have been here for a while, you've heard Will Jones uh, speak uh, probably multiple times. We've had him here quite a few. Uh, and if you don't know Will, Will is a, how would you say, he's a very behind-the-scenes part of the Hills Church. Like, he's constantly in contact with leadership. Uh, he's a mentor, a coach. Uh, he helps a lot with uh, just, yeah, coaching us on the leadership team, and uh, he's a vital part of what we do. So he's not a he's not a stranger to the Hills Church. He's very much part of our Hills Church. He just happens to live in another state. Uh, but from time to time, he drops in and blesses us with his presence, uh, and today he's going to be delivering the word for us. So, Will, I'm going to go ahead and invite you to come up and do your yeah. thing. All right. Awesome. Well, Hills, it's great to see you again. Can I steal one of these music things? I have a solo I want to do. Uh, real quick, is that okay? No, if I, if I sing, you guys will get up and start walking out. Um, praise the Lord. But hey, I am so excited to be here today uh, on behalf of Pastor Matt. And I call him Matt. Is that okay? I don't know why. You know, you kind of shorten people's names, Matthew. But I know he goes by Matthew, so I'm going to say Pastor Matthew. But Hills is home to me. And so, man, I am really thrilled to kind of share the word of God with you today. Um, how many of you have been enjoying the summer so far? Yeah, come on. Summers in Colorado are, are like second to heaven. Like it's, it's awesome. They said it's only second because the summers in Minnesota are better. Um, but, and the reason why I mentioned Minnesota is because my wife and I recently just moved there Thursday. Oh, my gosh. You remember how I used to joke with so many of you about the cold in Colorado and I would try to come during this season? God has a humor, right, because now I'm in Minnesota. And uh, that's just going to be awful in the winters. And uh, we're part of a new great church, man. It's an awesome ministry. And we're still doing, you know, evangelistic work around the world. And uh, Pastor Matthew said, hey, Will, I want you to just kind of share a little bit about where you've been. Because I've literally been out of the country probably for the last five weeks. And um, I had some pictures, but the Wi-Fi wasn't working. So my apologies on that. But I just left uh, East Africa. As you can see, my shirt today. I love African shirts. I always have them when I'm there. And uh, then we were in Latin, kind of Central Latin America for some time. And then it was just an awesome time of ministry. Um, we got a chance to see between both of those countries about 85,000 people that heard the gospel. Um, and just I think it was right around 5,500 people that responded to the gospel. We saw incredible healings of just blind eyes open, people that were lame, walked. I just never forget the guy who was lame, who scooted to the festival grounds that we had. Eight years he was lame. By the time we were done preaching, Jesus healed him. He walked away from the festival. And some of you are like, no, quit playing. That's okay. We're going to talk about that a little bit in the Bible. And so uh, it's, it's just been an awesome time. So a lot of great things happening in my life. But one of the great things that I love to share is just always being back here at the Hills. I love to see what's happening in the Park Hill community. And so many of you, I'm hearing teammates getting married and stuff like that. And all that stuff is fun. Babies coming, all that. Come on, that's good community right there. So that's when you got a healthy church. So it's a privilege to be back here before you. And today we're going to just continue in Acts 14. Is that right? I know you guys have been on a journey in the book of Acts. And man, I love the book of Acts <clears throat> because of the fact that it's not just a historical book. You know, Christ died, rose, gave us life as we trust in him, sent the Holy Spirit to not leave us as orphans. Holy Spirit indwells us. He empowers us to do the service of Christ and continue on. And I always tell people it's like Christ uh, left himself in the form of the Holy Spirit. 
and, and he's still doing great work today all throughout the world. He's still saving people. He's still healing people. He's still restoring families and marriages. He's still changing people. And so it's just a, a wonderful thing to be able to be a part of the body of Christ. But, you know, one of the things that God has been really dealing with me in my heart is it's not Christianity is not just about me. It's easy to get caught up in me. You know, we come to church so I can get fed. We uh, go to Bible study so I can get fed. We have community groups so I can see my friends. And, and all that's good, but the reality of Christianity is really so God can live through you to reach other people. And so today we're in Acts 14. And so I don't know if you've been reading that, but I'm going to give you kind of a summary. But before we do that, let's just go to God in prayer. He's already here. We're going to hear from him today. And we're so excited that he's going to speak to us. Father, thank you for this time and this opportunity to get into your word. Speak to our hearts today. Change us for your presence, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And so today I just want to give you kind of a disclaimer. I am going to really challenge you today. Oh, I'm going to challenge you today. I, I've been challenged by God in this last probably two months of just diving deeper in his word, believing him for what he really says. And some of you that are here, you may be on this journey of exploring God. And I'm going to even challenge you today in a good way. So I'm thankful that you're here today. If you're on a journey with God, man, that's awesome. You're in the best place. And so I'm going to share from God's word, Acts chapter 14. And it's, it's kind of a smorgasbord of things that happened in this scripture in this context of scripture. You have this man named Paul and, and Barnabas, and Barnabas' his name means the son of encouragement. And, and Barnabas is like Paul's rolling buddy. They're, they're buddies, man, for Jesus. They're going to places that are unreached, that are unheard, have heard about the gospel of Jesus, and they are just going to share about the love and the grace of Christ. And, and uh, they leave this place called Antioch, which is kind of the, the, the first uh, part where the church sends out what we would call a missionary. And so now in chapter 14, Paul's on this first missionary journey. And on his first missionary journey, man, he just has this work cut out for him. I mean, he's getting ready to encounter some stuff that he did not sign up for, right? And, and, and Paul knew that he would have to face many things because when God spoke to him through a man named Ananias in Acts chapter 9, he said that he would suffer many things for the church. And so Paul now is on this missionary journey. His partner Barnabas is with him. And they have been kicked out of a place called Antioch, uh, Poseidia. They have been kicked out of that place because they were preaching Jesus. And now they're in this place called Iconium, which is where we would get the word icon from. And so this place called Iconium, uh, it, it belonged to a, a, an emperor named Claudius, and his name was actually a Claudius Iconium. And so they had an inscription on the coin as an icon for Claudius during that time of the world. And so Paul's on this missionary journey. They get kicked out of Antioch. They go to another region called Iconium, which was kind of in the province of, of uh, is an area called Asia Minor. You might have heard of an area in the Bible, uh, a book called Galatia. And it was kind of in the Roman province of, of that time of the world. Now it would be considered the modern-day Turkey. And so they're on this journey, and this is not an easy journey. They're, they're traveling about up this mountain, this plateau, and they reach this elevation where Iconium is. It's about 37,000 uh, feet elevation. It's kind of like heading to Pikes Peak over there a little bit. I remember being there a couple years ago, and man, I was just walking. I look, I look pretty in shape. I was walking, and man, I got tired quick. 
I was, what is this? And my, my friend who's uh, a colonel in the military, in the uh, Air Force there, she said, oh, that's just the elevation. I said, gosh, this is insane. And I was just walking, and so I could imagine them on this journey to Iconium and this elevated mountain range that they were reaching. Man, they walked 90 miles southeastward from Antioch, and they were determined to preach the gospel. And so I just wanted to give you kind of a background because this area where they were Iconium, it was almost like a modern-day Denver, Colorado, meaning there were Greeks, there were Jews, there were uh, Phrygian people, there was people of different dialects, different uh, ethnicities, and different uh, ideologies, different thought concepts of where they came from, secularism, pluralism, all these things even during that time in Rome. And so it's almost like you can think of it as a city like you're living in today. And so Paul and Barnabas have set out on this journey to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And they want not necessarily to preach at people. They want to preach toward people so that they can hear about Jesus and have a chance to respond either in obedience of the truth of who God's word is or neglect the truth and reject responding to the gospel. And so in this process, man, we get a chance to see in Acts 14 what I'm calling this message today called the wonders of grace. The wonders of his grace. God's grace always demonstrates wonderful things. As a matter of fact, Isaiah calls Jesus the wonderful counselor. And so when you think about something wonderful, I want you to kind of just think about that. When you think about something wonderful, it's extravagant. It's awestrucking. It's, it's just something that you have never really seen. It blows your mind. And you just can't believe that it is what you're seeing right in front of you. And some of you may call it wonderful. Oh, my gosh, that's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's extravagant. I've never seen anything like that. Well, it's interesting because God is called wonderful. Bible calls Jesus the wonderful counselor. And today I want to talk to you about the wonders of his grace. So if you can, turn with me to Acts chapter 14, and we're going to unpack verses 1 through 7. 1 through 7. And what I'm going to do today is I want to really just take my time and kind of unpack these seven verses, really five of them in these seven verses. And so I'm kind of going to just teach you today and then give some application points. And so in Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7, let's kind of unpack verses 1 through 2. It says this, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and of the Greeks, believed. Verse 2 says, But the unbelieving Jews stared up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. And so we have something here. Paul is, and Barnabas are on this missionary journey, and they're getting ready to go and share about Jesus Christ, who they have encountered, who's changed their life, who's changed their heart, and they want to give other people an opportunity to experience the love of God that they have now experienced. And so they go to this area that's completely unreached. There, there are some Jews there that have a concept of God, but they haven't followed Jesus, the Messiah, yet. And so in this text, we see these two verses. There's, they spoke to a great number of people, and it actually says some of them believed. 
Some of them believed and began to follow Jesus. Some of them believed and began to ask Christ to forgive them of their sins and invite him into their life and begin to follow Jesus as what they would call back then the way. But then verse 2 is kind of interesting because it's total opposite. It says that some of the unbelieving Jews actually stared up what I would like to call a commotion. They begin to stir up things, and it says that they poisoned the minds of the other Jews and Gentiles that hadn't believed. What, what, what this word poison really implicates is that they had embittered them. They, they talked about the way, they ridiculed the way, and, and, and the poison that they were spilling over into the minds and the hearts of the people, some of them believed it and turned against the apostles' teaching about Jesus Christ. So it's interesting because you have some that believed and then some that didn't believe. And so it makes me think of these words success and failed in our context. We're a performance-driven society. We're driven by success. We teach our kids to be successful. Your parents taught you to be successful. How do they teach you to be successful? Some of us had different philosophies on that. Maybe it's education. Maybe it's being all you can be, putting your mind to anything that you can and you can accomplish it. Whatever that would be, we're driven by success and or we want to prevent failure in our lives. And so it's interesting here because we can even tie those two words with the word acceptance when we think about the gospel or rejection. Acceptance or rejection. And we as people of Christ, sometimes we're afraid of sharing about the wonders of his grace simply because either we don't want to fail or we don't want to be rejected. I mean, if you could think about your own work context or your school context or even in people in your community that you know of, think about what hinders you from sharing about the good news that you're experiencing as a believer. It's either the fear of failure and or rejection. And so Paul here and Barnabas, that's totally the opposite of how they're thinking. That's totally the opposite of how they're thinking. You're going to see that even more in this text. So I want to ask you this question. When sharing the gospel with others who are lost, what determines our success or our failure? When we share the gospel with others who don't know Christ and we want them to experience the love that we are experiencing, regardless if they view it as a relative or truth or not, you are experiencing the truth because your own life is being changed. And so what prevents you from sharing the gospel? What is it that, that, that makes you not share with people that are lost that would determine your success or your failure? I, I, that's a good one. I love it. I'll tell you, it's a simple word, church. Obedience. Obedience. You see, Jesus never calls us to be successful. I want you to remember. Remember John 15, if you don't mark it down or study it. He says, if you abide in the vine, then you will bear fruit. But it's him who produces the fruit, and it's you who have to abide in the vine and stay connected to it. And so he didn't say that you would produce fruit. He said you would bear fruit. Bearing is a result of you being connected to the vine. And so we don't have to worry about being successful when we're sharing the love of Jesus with other people. We don't have to worry about being rejected when we share the love of Jesus with other people because we want them to experience the wonders of his grace. And it's up to them to receive it or reject it. It's up to them to accept it or believe it. 
It's totally up to them. And obedience is the very word. I want you to know this today. God never calls us to be obedient. He tells us one thing. Go. Go. That's obedience. He never calls us to be fruitful or successful. We don't have to worry about that. Because if we go, I can guarantee you this, you'll be fruitful. If you go, I can guarantee you this, you'll be successful in Christ. But we have to understand that it's not about success or failing, acceptance or rejection. Why? Because it's God's gospel. It's not our responsibility to get people saved. It's our responsibility to be a witness that they may hear about God and respond to him that they may be saved. And so Paul here, they're on this journey. And I love, I love what Romans 10, 16 says. It kind of solidifies this. It says, but they all have not obeyed the gospel. This, Paul was talking about the Jewish, uh, uh, his Jewish fellow brothers and sisters that, that had not received Christ yet, but he was of their, their kinsmen. And he, he wanted them to know Christ so much. He wanted them to experience the wonders of his grace so much to the point that he even said he would be willing to go to hell for them. That they would experience the grace of God. And so in Romans 10, 16, it says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So we can get this notion today. I want you to get this in your thought and in your heart. I want you to understand that when we share the gospel, there will be fruit. We don't have to worry about being accepted or rejected, being successful or failing. It's a reality that everybody won't receive the gospel. But that's not up to us. And so in this text, we see that a few things begin to happen as Paul and Barnabas begin to share the gospel. There was evident fruit, but there was also people who rejected the gospel. And it's going to be the same for you and I today. Verse 2, 4 through 5, it says this. It says, but the unbelieving Jews stared up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. We just read that. And then verse 4 and 5 kind of talks about something in conjunction to verse 2, it says, but the multitude of the city was divided. Everybody say divided. Says, but the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt, which was almost this riot, this plot to kill the disciples, to kill Paul and Barnabas. It says, when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them. And so what we have here in this particular verse, we see that there was opposition to the message. We see that there was persecution that brought the message. Sometimes we say this as Christians or, or believers. We say this or followers of Jesus. We say we blame it on the enemy. We blame it on the devil. Oh, the devil, he's dividing. And yeah, that's true. The devil can fill people. <laughs> he can possess people. He can fill their minds with jealousy and envy and anger and strife. He can fill their minds. And people can allow the enemy to rule their hearts and their minds instead of allowing Christ to rule their hearts and their minds. But it's interesting because the gospel actually is meant to divide and separate. You don't believe me? Let's look at what Jesus said in Luke 12, 51. He said this. Jesus said, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? This is what Jesus said. He, it's the red letters. Whenever the red ladders come, you got to listen closely because Jesus is saying that, right? And so he said, do you think that I came to give peace on earth? He says, I tell you, not at all, but rather division. 
This is what Jesus said. He said, I came to earth to cause division. Now, why is that? I'm going to tell you why. Because right now, there are two kingdoms on the earth that are operating and warring against each other. There's God's kingdom, which he's going to establish through the reign of Christ Jesus. That's why the gospel came. And then you have the enemy's kingdom, which is the kingdom of darkness. And he's doing everything he can to thwart people from entering into God's kingdom. And so whenever you have the gospel of truth, the message of Jesus Christ being proclaimed, there always is division. Because it's being proclaimed in the earth where Satan right now is the prince of the power of error. Ephesians 2 tells you that. But when the light of the gospel is preached, there's a division. And so something has to give. People that are either with Satan and obeying him and is a son of disobedience, when they hear about the truth of the gospel, they have a choice to make. And that choice is going to divide them from either continuing to live their life under the rule of Satan in living on their own, or is going to, do, or is going to allow them to uh, uh, submit themselves under the governance and authority of God in his kingdom through his word. And so Jesus actually came to divide the earth. He tells you, he says, if you don't hate your brother, your father, your mother, your sister, your uncle, your cousin, your little niece, your second, third cousin, whatever you want, that's my translation, whatever you want to do, if you don't hate them to follow me, you're not worthy of being my disciple. That's what Jesus said. So he came to divide people. I remember uh, in Nigeria, we had one of our festivals, evangelistic festivals, and then it was a great gathering of people, and we were preaching to the multitudes and sharing about Jesus and just, just defeating the power of darkness and people that were, being, that, that, that were captive to bondage, to addictions and demon possessions and all these things, uh, satanic things. We were preaching the light of the gospel, and this one woman, she was a Muslim woman. I watched her for about three days, and, and I could see God working in her heart. It's almost like when Paul preaches here in, in verse 8 through 21, there is a man that he preaches about in Acts 8. When he was preaching, he saw faith arising in him. And he was crippled, and he tells the man to stand up, and he stands up, and he's healed. So I saw faith in this woman that was a Muslim, and, and I was wondering. Every night, she never came to respond to the altar call. And finally, in my mind, I'm like, what is this? And I'm preaching my heart out. I'm preaching to her. I got a headache. I'm sweating. I, all my clothes are wet. I mean, this is crazy. And I'm asking people to come to Jesus. I'm asking people to experience the wonders of his grace. And on the last night, this lady finally comes down. And I asked our interpreters and our team there, I said, why did it take her so long to come down? He says, brother, in his African voice, brother. He said, when she comes to Jesus, her total life will be changed. Not because she's been accepted Jesus, but because she will be exiled from her family, her children, her grandchildren, whoever, her husband. She will be exiled. Nothing. No resources, nothing. And so this lady for three days was counting the cost of being divided from her family, and she had to count the cost. And Jesus tells us that in the Bible. You don't build something without counting the cost. And she had to understand that if I come to give my life to Jesus, which she had begun to believe in him, it's going to divide me from my family. It's going to divide me from everything I know. It's going to divide me from everything that I have. But finally, she decided that being divided from those temporal things was much more important and losing something eternal. And she came to Jesus Christ. 
She gave her life to Jesus that night. And so we have to understand, my friends, when we preach the gospel, there will be some opposition. I remember another a friend of mine, we were just in, in East Africa, we were talking here, and uh, they were in Ethiopia, a very tough part of Ethiopia. And there's a, a group called the Orthodoxy, and, and they are very traditional in their, their, their theology about God, and they don't really accept Jesus. They're very, they, it's almost as if it's a cult. And they were preaching in an outreach, and these men begin to throw stones at them begin to throw stones at them. And so my friends, they all lock hands on the stage and they just begin to kneel. And they all ducked their head and a few of them were hitting the head with big stones. They all ducked their heads and they continued to preach the gospel and give the salvation message. And they immediately got up and, and got ready to go. The security came and helped them get on the bus. And there was one man who came to the bus and was bounding on the window. And he said to them, I am so sorry. He was in tears. He said to them, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry that I was throwing stones at you. I'm so sorry that I wasn't listening to the message that you were preaching. And that man at the window began to tell them how he actually believed in Jesus and he wanted to give, have a relationship with him. That day he refused to, he, he, he denounced the religion that he was living and accepted Jesus Christ because there was such grace that my friends exhibited. And it was God working through them. How could someone stay somewhere when they're throwing stones at you while you're preaching the gospel? It's only through the enablement and the power of God and the Holy Spirit. And that man that day, he was the leader of one of these major groups. He ended up coming to Jesus Christ because he saw the opposition that the other friends of his was giving toward the gospel. So what am I saying to you? If we and when we preach the gospel, there will be opposition. Not only will there be fruit, there will be opposition. And sometimes we get so caught up in the fruit that when we face the opposition, we're like, I quit. I don't want to do this anymore. When somebody doesn't receive the gospel, I don't want to share anymore. When, someone does, when we don't understand what the questions they're asking, we feel inadequate. I don't know the Bible, so I'm not going to share anymore. Don't allow opposition to limit God's wondrous grace to work through you. And so in this text, we see Paul here. It was so amazing, Paul and Barnabas, because it tells us that the next verse, verse 3, it says that, therefore, they stayed there for a long time. <laughs> I had to ask myself, why in the world would you stay at a place like that? That there's opposition to the message. They're, they're, they're getting ready to stone you. Why, why would you stay at a place like that? Well, why would you continue to share with that colleague who always turns you down when you try to switch the conversation to spiritual matters? Well, why, why would you continue to sit by the, the young boy or the young girl at, at your cafeteria lunch when they are totally opposed of who God is. They hate him. Why do we do those things? I'm going to tell you why Paul and Barnabas did. I, I believe this. It's because they understood the magnitude of the gospel that they shared. They understood the, 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 the hinge of one man's eternity through this message that they shared. Paul says it in, in, in 2 Corinthians 4. He talks about it. He says, we, we don't just do this because 
we do it on our own. We do it because we're persuaded, we're compelled by the love of God. We do it because we understand the magnitude that if we don't share what we have experienced, that someone around us is just a split second away from experiencing eternity, separated from a living, holy, perfect, righteous, merciful, and just God. And they'll spend eternity away from him in a place called hell, being tormented every single day for their sins because they never receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul and Barnabas understood the magnitude. That's why they stayed. I love it. this text. We're going to break down a few words here. It says boldness. It says that they stayed there for a long time speaking boldly in the Lord. Boldly. I want you to understand this word boldly. They didn't do it harshly or out of anger or spite. Sometimes you see the preachers on, on, the, on the street. And, Jesus loves you. You're going to go to hell, buddy. If you don't come to Jesus, he said you're going to hell. Tomorrow you'll lift up your eyes. They, they, they weren't doing it with harshness. They weren't doing it sternly out of, out of anger and spite. It says they were doing it boldly. I want you to understand what this word boldly means. This word boldly is that they were grounded in the confidence of the Lord. They understood that even though some people might oppose them, it was such a magnificent message, and they understood the magnitude that they didn't depend on themselves. They had boldness in the Lord. They were confident in what he said he can do about the message that, that he gave them to preach. And so that gave them boldness. And, and, and watch this. As opposition grew, so their boldness grew. It wasn't that opposition grew and they began to shrink back. Uh, it wasn't that. It's when opposition came, they got bolder in the confidence of the Lord to speak boldly. And the text tells us that, I love what NASB says in this verse. It says that there was a reliance upon the Lord. It was a reliance upon him that, that God was there sustaining them. That's why they were able to stay for this little duration of time. Even though there was fruit, even though there was opposition, they wanted to stay because they wanted people to experience the wonders of God's grace. And it says to us in the same text, verse 3, verse 3, verse 3, it says here that they began to speak the word boldly in the Lord who was bearing Witness. What does that mean? Bearing witness. Bearing witness. Some, some texts may say uh, testify. When actually what it says, it's a judicial term. It's almost used as in the court of law. We heard the word testimony, right? But it was God giving uh, 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 what we would call confirmation or solidifying his word. If, if, if Paul and Barnabas were preaching that Jesus Christ was the Savior, then God would change somebody's heart and give them an understanding through the revelation of the Holy Spirit that they are a sinner, they're lost without him, and Jesus came to save sinners, and therefore he wants a relationship with them, and therefore they, 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 they put their trust in him, and then their hearts were being changed and regenerated, as Titus 3 says. But not only that, if Jesus was a healer, they also declared that Jesus was a healer, and so then people began to be healed because God backed up the name of Jesus, whom he was a healer and still is. And so God began to testify and prove what the disciples or the apostles were saying at that moment. So they're bearing witness. Listen to what Psalms 138 tells us, Psalms 138 too. It says, for you, speaking of God, for you have magnified your word above 
all your name. Let me tell you what that means. God esteems his word over himself. Now, you may be asking, how is that possible? Because guess what? You remember the saying, your word is bond, right? So if you're a man or a woman, you have a name. Not just a physical name, but your name goes with your character, your identity, your integrity. And when you don't carry out a promise and you underdeliver, people no longer trust your name. They no longer trust you. And so God's saying, listen, I'm going to put my word over my name because I am God. I am the I am. And if I am the I am, my word is going to solidify that I am the I am. So I'll put my word over my name. And when you preach my name, I'm going to solidify that because my word said that that is who I am. That's my name. Ah, I feel like preaching. I don't know if you got that. But I want you to get that. He says, I esteem my word over my own name. And so God was bearing witness to himself by his word, which was the gospel. That word there is logos. It's the word of God, written word. But it's speaking in context. And so in context, the disciples were preaching Jesus, the living word of God. And so how is he bearing witness? He was bearing witness by his word through the content of the gospel. And it says this, that he was bearing witness of his word of his grace to the word of his grace. We're going somewhere. Follow me. Of his grace. Grace. You know what grace means? Everybody say grace. Grace. It's not just somebody's name. (laughs) But that name means so much more than just a name. Grace in God's context is favor. Some people would say unmerited favor. Something that I give you that there's no way you deserve it. Something that I extend to you, a gift or a service that there's no way, in, in, in regardless of your condition or your situation, how good you are, how bad you are, it doesn't matter. You receive this favor from God that it doesn't matter who you are, how you are, where you come from, where you're going. He gives it to you because it's him who initiates the favor. So you can do nothing about it. That's why Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace we have been saved through faith, not of yourself, but It's him who saves you. Not of yourself, not of your own works. You can't work to get to God. You can't work to get to heaven. You can't do enough good deeds. It's God's grace that he extends to you who doesn't deserve it, and he does that who, by whom through the word who is Jesus Christ. He's called the living word of God. Read John 1. So we have to understand that if when we experience God's favor and we experience God's grace, it only can happen when it's connected to his word. Only connect when it's connected to his word. Matter of fact, John 1, 17 says this about Jesus Christ, the living word of God. It says, in the beginning was the word. God was the word. He became flesh through his son Jesus incarnate. God became Jesus Christ to live out the word of God. It says in, in Colossians that Jesus is the invisible, the visible form of the invisible God. Everything you want to know about God, it's in Jesus Christ. How do you know who Jesus is? It's through the word. God sent his word through Jesus Christ, living out his word so that he can show us an example of how to live for him. And so Jesus Christ says, it says this about Jesus Christ, grace and truth, grace, favor, mercy, unmerited, and the truth of who he is came through Jesus Christ. We want to experience grace, it's always connected to the living word of God. We can't experience God's grace outside of his word. And so I want you to understand that today. The Bible says they were bearing witness of himself, basically solidifying his name by his word through 
signs and wonders. This is why I'm about to go crazy. How much time I got, Brother Jeff? Give me, give me, give me a thing. I, I, I want to make sure I'm on pace here. Through signs and wonders by their hands. That's what the word says. If we could put a uh, verse, verse 3. It says, God was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. What does this mean? When you think of a sign, you look, oh, okay, we're holding a sign or something visible. No, 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 not in God's economy. When the Bible says signs, it means something marvelous, a manifestation of a supernatural divine agent. So something magnificent happened, something marvelous, something so significant that it could not be done by man. It was a supernatural divine agent. So it says that God was showing, bearing witness of his word through grace by or through signs and wonders by their hands. And so wonder, when you look at the word wonder, it's extravagant. It's out of the ordinary. As a matter of fact, this is really simple, but we make it complex. As a matter of fact, I was, um, we were in Rwanda. Some people say Rwanda, but it's Rwanda. And there was a man who was blind, and we were preaching about Jesus. I was preaching, Jesus love you, Jesus can save you. And so many people began to come to Jesus, and come to the altar, and get saved, come to the front. And they were giving their life to Jesus, crying out to God, asking him to forgive them of our sin, accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And then after that, we always pray for healing because Jesus said that I have come to proclaim the gospel of the, of the kingdom, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. That's what the Bible says. And then he leaves us with this authority that we can do the same thing. And so it says here that, that he did this through signs and wonders. And I always like to say a sign from God points back to who he is. A wonder from God points back to who he is. It never points to the messenger. It points to the person who ordained the message. It points back to God so that people can believe in God. And so we were in Rwanda, and this man, he was blind, and they led him up there. And I'm preaching, Jesus can heal you. Jesus can heal you. And then he comes forward for healing, and I'm like, uh-oh, Jesus better heal him. Or I'm in trouble. So I come to this tension in my, my faith where, oh, God, I hear your word, and I'm preaching it, but do I really believe it? Got to talk to some of you here. I, I, I read your word, I see your word, but do I really believe it? And I want to let you know, your belief will hinder your behavior. If you don't believe fully what God said, then you won't behave as if he said it. If you don't believe that you can be freed from sin and addiction and, and pornography and drugs and, and, and anger and bitterness and forgiveness, then you won't experience it because you don't believe it. And so this is what is worse. I'm preaching this, and this man comes forward, and I pray for him two or three times. And I'm like, okay, Jesus, I saw you pray for somebody twice. The third time, I'm going to run if you don't heal him. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the third time we prayed for this man, I felt the burden of God in my heart. I was crying like a baby, and I prayed. I commanded his eyes to be open in the name of Jesus. I had already preached the gospel, and I was so nervous, and I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me. You know the Holy Spirit lives in us. He's God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. He can speak to us. He speaks to our conscious man. And so the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I was so nervous. He said, you've preached my word. Now let me heal him. And he changed my life at that moment. I said, God, I never have to worry about being successful because you will back up what you said you'll do. 
if I believe you and I preach you the way you said in your book, you are obligated to back it up. And so this man, his eyes were open immediately. He starts jumping up and down. He can see the crowd's going crazy. And I tell you that story. Why? Because God will still show the wonders of his grace through signs and wonders through you by your hands. I was just at a place the other day, and the woman said, you remember me? I said, no. She said, you pray for me. I had a chronic disorder. I was struggling for months. And she said, you prayed for me. I said, I haven't seen you in years. She said, yeah. She said, ever since you prayed for me, I've never had that pain again. And all I could do is say, thank you, God. Because it wasn't me. It was God, the supernatural divine agent, living in me through the Holy Spirit that believed what he said to allow her to experience the grace of his wonders. And so Paul and Barnabas here. God is doing some signs and wonders through them. And, and, and church, 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 hear me when I say this. It's simple. They spoke the word boldly, relying upon God. He responded with changing the heart of man, salvation. He, he, he responded with testifying to the glory of his son, Jesus, the healer, the redeemer, through signs and wonders done by his followers. What am I saying to you today, my friends? I want you to understand that when we share the gospel, God backs himself up. Not only when we share the gospel, we will be fruitful. Not only when we share the gospel, will there be opposition. But when we share the gospel, when we pray for the sick, the, the Bible says you can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. The Bible says, listen, I want you to read this, Mark 16, 20. Go to that real quick. We're almost done. We're closing out here. Mark 16, 20. I want you to get this. Mark 16, 20, this is what it says. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, here we go. Mark 16, 20, it says, And they went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord working with them and confirming the word, accompanying them through signs and wonders. God was working with them. Jesus Christ was revealing himself to the people that they were preaching to. And he was confirming himself that he is a healer, that he is a savior, that he is someone that can, pre that can be spoken in the name of himself and demons will flee because he has all power, he has all authority. And when he died on the cross for mankind, he said, it is finished. That means Jesus Christ has authority over everything in the world, my friend. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over addictions. He has authority over mental capacity, mental things and disorders. He has authority over anything in your life, your finances, your but he can't have the authority unless you submit to his authority. The authority can't operate in your life unless you submit to it. Authority is not objective. It's subjective. Jesus has the authority, but you can't experience it unless you submit to it. And so it tells us here in this text that Paul and Barnabas will experience the signs and wonders through God because God himself will back up his word. I'm finished. Najee, come help me out. Come help me out. I want to tell you a story. Today we're talking about the, the wonders of his grace. Uh, there was, a, there was a, a, a little girl who was at a store with her mother. And the little girl was walking through the store and she saw candy. And, oh, man, my God. And mom said, oh, no, no, no. You know, let's wait till later. And they got to the checkout counter and 
there was this jar of free candy. Come on, how many kids, you know, kids would just go crazy. You parents know that's your remedy. Shut up, boy, candy. Shut up, girl, candy. And so this little girl got to the checkout, and, and it was candy, a free jar of candy. And she asked her mother, Mommy, Mommy, is this candy for me? And the clerk said to the, the young girl, Actually, honey, yes, it's free. You can take some candy. And she looked at her mommy, and her mommy said, Okay, go ahead and take the candy if you want some candy. And so the little girl kind of looked with hesitancy, and she looked up at the clerk, and the clerk looked at her like, Go ahead, you can take some, honey. The little girl said, no, no, I'm okay, I, I'm fine. And the clerk had understood something was wrong with the, the little girl, and so she said, no, honey, it's, it's yours. You can take how many other pieces you want. And the little girl decided, you know, she just didn't do it. She was hesitant. And so the clerk decides to reach inside, and she reaches inside, and she tells the little girl, open up your hands. The little girl opens up her hands, and she puts just a big thing of candy in her hands. And so the little girl looks at her in wow, amazement. She's stunned. Oh, my God, this is wonderful. This is awesome. And she's going out carrying the candy, and you can just see her. Can you see her? She's carrying the candy, and her mom's happy. And finally, when they get out to the car, they're loading her things in the car. The mom says, honey, why didn't you reach in the jar and grab you some candy? And the little girl said, mommy, I didn't do it because the clerk's hands were bigger than mine. What do I mean by that? God's grace is bigger than us. When we surrender ourselves to God and we believe his word and we submit ourselves to his plan and we preach his gospel, God will do things bigger than you ever thought you can do. God will take you places that you never thought you could go. God will do exceedingly and abundantly in you and through you by the power that's in you of the Holy Spirit, my friends. When we let God's hand do it, oh my God, you'll see signs, you'll see wonders, you'll see miracles. You'll see change because God's grace is wonderful. His grace is wonderful. And so today I want you to know that God wants to use your hands, your heart, your mouth to help others experience the wonders of His grace. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray this morning that you would speak to the hearts of my friends, God, that you would encourage them through your word today, that you still do signs, wonders, miracles, healings. You still save. You still set free. You still change. Why? Because when Jesus died on the cross over 2,000 years ago, he took our sins. He took our place. He endured our judgment. He died a death. We should have died. He lived a life we could have never lived. But when he rose from the grave with all power, God, you gave me in all the world an opportunity to put our life in Jesus, to receive the forgiveness of our sins, to receive a new relationship with you. And God, you make us new. You fill us with purpose. You fill us with grace. You fill us with love. And you equip us and empower us with your Holy Spirit that you may do wonderful things through us because you ordained it when you said, go, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. And so God, I pray for my friends today that they would understand, God, that you want to endue them with power, 
to be able to see signs, wonders, and people saved and set free and lives changed and added into your kingdom that they may one day spend eternity with you in heaven. God, you want to use them. Will you give them the faith today? Will you help them to believe today, God? Will you help them to go deeper? Will you help them to go deeper? Will you take them from faith to faith, I pray. In the name of Jesus. While every eye is closed, listen, I just want to ask some of you, you may be here and you may not know Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity to receive him today. I've shared about him already. He died for your sins on the cross. He rose from the grave. He ascended back to heaven. He's with God right now, but he leaves you the opportunity to have eternal life with him. Not only eternal, but a life abundantly on earth. Some of you are searching, you're seeking, you're seeking and searching in the wrong places because there's a hole in your heart that only God can fill. And today, if you want that hole filled, the answer is Jesus. So if you're here today, my friends, and you've been on a journey seeking God, I want you to know you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all the answers figured out. God just wants you to take the first step to receive his grace that you don't deserve. Will you respond to his love today? He's calling you. If that's you today, while every eye's closed, if that's you and you say, Will, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to receive him as my Lord and Savior. If you want to do that today for the first time in your life, I want you to raise your hand when I count to three. Every eye's closed, every head's bowed. If that's you and you say, Will, I want to pray to receive Jesus. Include me in your prayer. I'm going to count to three and you raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen, amen. You can put your hands down. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. If you raise your hand and this is your first time of giving your life to Jesus, my friends, I want to let you know this is such a great moment for you. The angels in heaven, God's angels around him right now are rejoicing. They're getting ready to throw a party, the Bible says, because you are a child of God coming into his kingdom, being defeated from the powers of darkness, entering into the power of his light. So I want to pray for you right now, but I want you to pray this prayer with me because the Bible says if you confess with your heart and confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was risen from the dead, you will be saved. So if that's you and you raised your hand and you're praying this prayer for the first time, I'm going to ask you to pray with me out loud. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you today. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Thank you for paying the price for my sin. When you died on the cross and you rose from the grave. Thank you for extending your love to me and your wonderful grace that I did not deserve. Today I turn from my old life and I embrace your new life for me. I thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.